This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have another one of our HITS uh, instructors. This year HITS is going to be in the Phoenix Scottsdale area in August. I have Jack, it's uh, pronounced Shanley, right? It is. It looks like Shanley, but it's Shanley. So I have Jack Shanley. <laughs> have Jack Shanley here with me. He's a, a retired LAPD officer and he's going to be teaching for us this year. He's taught for us a couple times in the past and always well received. So uh, how are you doing today, Jack? Great, Jeff. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for uh, jumping on. I know uh, retired guys are kind of busy, but I appreciate you finding time. To, uh, always to find time for you, Jeff. Always <laughs> find time. So, Jack, you want to tell uh, everybody, like, you have a, a pretty interesting uh, career with LA. Can you kind of tell us step-by-step what you did? Sure. Uh, it was it was an interesting career. I was really, really lucky. Very, very fortunate. Uh, I started in a small sheriff's department back in Pennsylvania, as a part-timer for a few years. And then I moved to LA for the job and joined LAPD in 83 and uh, obviously worked uh, patrol. And uh, most of my patrol time was in South Central in the mid eighties when it was really, really busy and really hopping. And, uh, and the reason that's important for, for us is because that's what, that's what drew me to the canine eventually Sure, <laughs> because I was around the dog handlers, you know, every day we were on perimeters and, and uh, dog searches, and that that really keep my interest. But I, so I did my time in patrol. I was a training officer there in 77th Street Division in South Central, and I went to uh, Hollywood Vice for a short uh, stint, which was kind of an undercover gig, uh, doing stuff uh, for street prostitution and bar stuff. And and then I went to Metro uh, for a while as a element member, which was a crime suppression unit citywide. And uh, canine was part of Metro. And um, so that was the goal, get the canine. It was an early goal in my career. And, and I got there in 1992, um, stayed for five years. Uh, and that's where I really learned almost everything I know today. <laughs> I, <laughs> I look back at that five-year period and think, wow, I learned so much about police work during that five years in canine Uh and about perimeters and foot pursuits and chases and hiding spots and search techniques and things I'm still teaching and using sure. today. Uh, let's let's but, talk uh, about that for a quick minute. Yeah. In those five years, because I know, you know, I still talk to the LA guys as you do and stuff. And uh, I know my department, um, it's slowed down a little bit. I think our, our profession in general isn't quite as what it was, you know, 25 Agreed. years ago. So oh, yeah. For lots of lots and lots of reasons. But in that time frame, those five years, Give us an idea as to what a night was, you know, you with a dog in the back of your car, what type of, you know, how many primers were you doing? What type of, uh, you know, numbers of apprehensions and stuff? Cause I know it's, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. it was a lot. It, it, it's changed a lot. Uh, eighties was big. I mean, they were doing 2000 K I searches a year, you know, 12, 12 handlers. It was crazy. Wow. 90 nineties when I was there slowed down significantly, but 2000 slowed down even more. And it's, it's even slower today, but Back then, your typical day was a 2000 to zero four hundred. It was still back in the eight-hour shift days, but twenty hundred to zero four, uh, you got to work. You got to you got to work out in if you could, 
the reason, the only reason you wouldn't get a workout in is because you were already searching someplace. Sure. And, uh, and then you would just bounce around the city, just cruise the city and wait for the calls citywide, anywhere from four to six dogs were usually on duty, not including the, the training people. And, uh, you just went from perimeter to perimeter to building search to building search to perimeter. And it was, it was steady. Uh, and there were nights that you would do three or four searches and you'd get done and your back and your legs would ache. It felt yeah. like you ran a marathon and because you, because you did, yeah. I mean, you were walking so much, you know, you know how that is. Oh yeah. Uh, it was, it was really, but it was fun. It was so much fun. And in between all that, if it was slow, we were training, you know, we were going to a building and, training crew would call up and say, Hey, everybody, we're, we're going to be at this location. And we'd all show up and we'd hide for each other and search, sure. search and practice. And, um, it, it was, it was a great, great time period. And, and, uh, and by its nature at that time, these perimeters that you were doing, these were, these were no joke perimeters. I mean, violent oh, yeah. felonies and, and high yep. risk, high risk uh, perimeters. Most they of were, the time, right? I would consider them almost all high risk. And here's why, because our search criteria was very, very strict. It was any, any felony or armed misdemeanor. Uh, that was, uh-huh. that was the search criteria, any felony or armed misdemeanor. So, you know, you, you were searching for armed suspects a lot, uh, you know, whether they were just, you know, they had a gun in their waistband and they ran or whether they just robbed a liquor store with a gun and they ran, you, you were chasing people and hunting for people that were armed. And it was, so it was high risk. We all took it serious, very seriously sure. when we were searching. Uh, we had shooting training days once a month. I mean, where the whole crew is there once a month for a full day of shooting with a very, very outstanding instructor, Scotty Reitz. I mean, it, it was taken very seriously because it was dangerous. Um, and, and at that time, it was, um, I know the statistics were real high. I would, I guess I would just phrase it as it was not at all unusual for members of, of the, like dog handlers themselves to be involved in officer-involved shootings, right? Exactly. Uh, each each decade, it's gone down a little bit. 80s, it was wild. The canine handlers were getting shootings a lot. 90s, it went down a little bit. Uh, and then it kept going down as, as the searches, obviously, sure. got became less. But yeah, the armed confrontations were happening pretty regularly. So uh, that's why we took it so seriously. Sure. That's why the shooting was such a big part of, of training and being ready for uh, I still talk about it to new to new recruits about shooting on the move and how that's all we did. I mean, at those training days, we were rarely standing still while we were shooting because exactly. the instructor is saying, "Hey, you got to be able to get led yeah. on target here while you're moving because you're following that dog." And yep. it it was good stuff. I, good. I really value that time period. So when you the first you know year or so you'd because obviously you'd been in South Central you probably covered the dogs a lot and been around them a lot. It, yes. In those first yes. couple of years with the actually with the you know, the dog in your car, what, what were some things that surprised you or what were, you know, the things that you didn't really kind of understand until you, until you a, were actually that's there? That's a great question because, and I have a really good answer for it. It was the thing that hit me the most was how much I didn't know. Sure. I, I'm not kidding you, Jeff. I mean, I, I, I think about that all the time and I'd go, wow, how did I not know this my first 10 years on the job? I thought I knew everything. <laughs> you know, I, I worked 77th as a street cop. I thought I knew everything sure. about suspects, about foot pursuits, about tactics. And what I found out 
getting into the dog world and, and doing it every night and going and seeing the successes and failures is that I, I didn't know everything. I was scratching the surface as a patrol officer. And now is my learning time. And, and I truly mean that. That five years, I learned more in that five years than any other period of my career by far. And that includes probation. <laughs> I mean, I just learned things that, that I took for granted or that I thought I understood. You know, perimeters being a big one. Sure. I mean, I, I really thought oh, we set up perimeters every night in 77th and the 80s. It was crazy. Sure. Uh, and I thought, man, I know perimeters. And I had a lot of good trainers and experienced people around me. But what I learned from doing it every night as a canine handler and seeing the successes and failures is that I really didn't know as much as I thought. And now I was learning, and now it was time to share that with patrol officers. And that's that was my goal yeah. then. I'm going to share what I'm learning now with patrol officers so that the perimeters improve and I get more bad guys with my dog. <laughs> you know? so, yeah, uh, so for example, I, I guess where, when you're talking about seeing perimeters from one side to the other, I, like my own personal experience, I think um, a lot of times the, the patrol officers, maybe they set a perimeter and it, it, what a lot of times I think they're too big, you know, so then when you get there with a the dog, you realize, well, you know, this isn't as tight as I think it is. Is that kind of some of the stuff that, that changed for you once you got on the other side of it? Yes, there, there was. a, and it, and it kind of flipped both ways where sometimes I'd get there and go, you're kidding me. This is it was too way, way, way too yeah. small. Or it was ridiculously big for what they had and for the yeah. circumstances. And so as a canine handler, I mean. I, I never, I never looked at those patrol officers and thought, "Oh, you idiots!" No, you know, no. because I was one of those idiots. Yeah, I, I was doing the same thing. Yeah, you know. But once I started seeing it, I understood that, hey, you know what? There's, there's a better way to do this, and there's a good way and a bad way, and there's certain rules you got to follow. And the size of perimeters was a big, big yeah. question all the time. It still is. I mean, I still that's probably the number one question sure. I get about perimeters. And but what I learned was in canine is you have to. Make the size, for instance, appropriate to what you have and where you are and how many people you have and what the terrain is and, and what the crime is and how, what the suspect was doing, all that stuff. I didn't think about that as a patrolman. I just was throwing units everywhere trying to contain. It wasn't very uh, efficient <laughs> as a young cop. It was hair on fire kind of stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't this calculated efficiency where you go, well, I need somebody here, here, and here. And back, you know, back like then, what was the quality of the, the dispatchers? Because I think a dispatcher can make or break a perimeter if they'll, oh, if they'll yeah. help you. Did you have good dispatchers that would help we, you set that up? We did. Up? Yeah. We did. For the most part, we did. And some were some were more in tune with it than others. But absolutely, Jeff, I agree with that 100% that, that if the dispatchers are understand what's going on out there, they were very helpful at times, you know, in prompting things or putting that, planting that seed in a patrol officer's head Hey, are you sure you want to keep chasing this guy? Or you want a perimeter, you know? And if they didn't do it, we would do it as canine handlers. We'd get on the radio and say, perimeter. <laughs> you just get on the radio, the see the mic, say the word perimeter. And then the next thing you heard was, all right, I need a perimeter. <laughs> because we wanted them to contain these Absolutely. people. Absolutely. And yeah. because they lost it, they kept chasing them nine times out of ten, they were just going to lose them, yep. you know? Yep. Did, were the dispatchers at that time, were some of those, were they cops that had, uh, switch to dispatch or were they always civilians or no, it was all civilians, all civilians, but, uh, some very dedicated people and uh, really dedicated people that, that cared about our safety and cared about us. And, and it was a good relationship. And I think for the most part, it, it still is. But at that time, 
you know, you this is 90s when I was there. And, you know, obviously I set perimeters up from the air later and earlier as a patrol officer. But what I saw in the 80s and 90s especially was dispatchers were really in tune with things because it was so busy. Yeah. I mean, you're, it was crazy busy yeah. where then it just kind of started easing off. And, and so a younger dispatcher today, for instance, doesn't have nearly the, the, the insight into a perimeter that one in the 80s, yeah. 90s or early 2000s had because sure. of the frequency. Yeah, you know. yeah, I, I I see that even in my own department where sure, sure, you know, it's everywhere. That's it's yeah, everywhere. the whole profession has changed. I think for for lots of reasons, but it's definitely it has, good, it has. good and bad. But so I after you, after you've been a dog handler for five years, then you had another opportunity. Yeah, that opportunity came from a, a very good friend, Pat McNamara, calls me up, and he's he's a tactical flight officer that's flying over me every night on canine searches, and he calls me up. I knew him from seventy seventh, and says, hey. Tactical flight officer positions opening up and you need to apply. I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm in the best job in the world. He goes, <laughs> no, you're in the second best job in the world. <laughs> Trust me. This is a good gig. You'd be perfect. I said, all right. So I was thinking about it for family reasons, you know, getting a little bit more stable sure. lifestyle, which you and your listeners can relate to. Canine is very it's exciting. It's fun. It's hard work, but you're, you know, you get home at four in the morning and four 30, you're driving back in. Yep. I mean, I had young kids, so I, I decided to try it, and I went to air support as a tactical flight officer and setting up perimeters, supporting dog handlers from the air, uh, you know, and, and patrol from the air, and it was it was wonderful. Was that and It very, was really a good time. Was that very common that uh, dog handlers ended up going up into the helicopter? Was that a common transition? No, it wasn't, and uh, it was it was just something that happened to me. Sure. Uh, but what I've told people over the years is, because uh, I've gotten calls over the years from from others, I can think of I can think of a half dozen names off the top of my head of people canine handlers from around the country that called me and said, "Hey, I'm, I have an opportunity to go to air support, and I think I can do that job." And my response would always be, "You're darn right, you can." Yeah, you, you, canine handlers are a natural a natural transition to air support because of the nightly tactics of containment patrol. Uh, searching, hunting. I mean, you're hunting with a forward-looking infrared yeah. now instead of a dog. You're yeah. setting perimeters for the dogs. You're giving dog handlers advice on where to start their search. And that that was fun. Yeah. I, I loved it. I loved that. I so did that for a few years. So for the, the agencies that maybe don't have air support or don't aren't familiar, yep. kind of uh, that's you're, you're busy as hell in the in the seat there. So maybe kind of explain what a what a flight officer everything they're doing on sure. that side because they're not sure, flying the right? flight oh yeah tactical flight officer is not a pilot uh generally not a pilot there are some departments that where the pilots do both tfo and pilot jobs from time to time we, we did a little bit but we had full-time tactical flight officers they used to be called called observers years ago and the reason that the name got changed is because they needed they needed a lot more credit being an observer sounded like yeah you just look out the window but the tactical flight officer is monitoring police radios, uh, co uh, coordinating your the navigation, getting you to the call, handling that call, communicating, coordinating, uh, setting up perimeters, giving their opinions on on tactics and advice. Sometimes to patrol officers, sometimes to command staff on a big event. You know, they're looking to you, um, and then the pilot was pretty much the chauffeur, you know, just tell me where do you want me to go there, TFO, and I'll take you there. 
it was a, it's the most demanding job in law enforcement. It had, we had a 90% washout rate uh, of tactical flight officers. 90% people couldn't do the job. Some of the best cops I know couldn't do it. Some of them, a couple of them were canine handlers, <laughs> but they couldn't navigate. You know, they couldn't navigate. If you got them there, they could, they could work the heck out of a call, but uh, it was really important to be able to navigate. And that was the number one washout reason. Some people couldn't find their own house from the air. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it was, it was kind of funny, but um, yeah, that was, that was a really enlightening gig. And I got to see the perimeter containment, for instance, in foot pursuits from another perspective. And now I'm learning even more. I mean, I learned a lot during that time. Sure. Uh, it was, it was great. So how long were you a flight officer then? Dr. Uh, three years. I did a, a, about, about two years as a tactical flight officer. Then I became chief tactical flight officer. And then in 2000, I made pilot, uh, switched seats, but continued to be a TFO trainer and, you know, flying sure. over incidents and sure. seeing incidents and having input. And then I stayed there until retirement in 2016 as a pilot. And some some people probably go straight to being a pilot and aren't TFOs. It, some do, yeah, some do. Is that a hindrance uh, to the to the pilot then if well, they if they don't know what the guy next to them doing? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I I can tell you this that many that I saw in my time there that went straight to pilot when were never TFO they struggled. Sure. They struggled. They had to work a lot harder than somebody who was already flying those left hand orbits around a perimeter for hours and hours and hours. Over a canine search, that pilot had to work a lot harder than uh, if they having not done that as a TFO. Sure. Uh, learning about orbits and learning about flare searching. I mean, they could get it done. Some of them were very experienced pilots, some from the military. Uh, yeah. But it was so valuable yeah. having that tactical flight officer time. It made it much easier to A, learn to fly and B, uh, know what to do and what that TFO needed on certain situations, especially perimeters. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that, all that experience brings us to the class you're going to teach for us. And it's, yep. a, it's on, you have a book containing fleeing suspects. Um, I'll put the link to that in our show notes and, and your contact you. information. Um, if anybody wants to read it, it's, uh, when did you write that book? Back in 07, a friend yeah. of mine at, at air support, uh, that I had worked with, uh, Rick Lowen, he's a retired guy. He, he's, uh, He's a great, he was a great pilot and a good friend. He would see things that I was doing as a TFO and he said, Hey, you need to, you need to share this information. And I'll give you an example, Jeff, that your listeners and you will appreciate. Uh, one block containment. Okay. We set it. We didn't, we never had eyes on the guy. We got there late, but we set the perimeter and now canine shows up. And I look down at this one block and I get a hold of one of the, one of the handlers and I go, Hey, Hey, Jimmy, grab your dog. Don't start at the end of the block. I want you to start mid-block on the north side. I, I got a yard I want you to check first. And Jim goes, no problem. And he comes down there and he sends his dog into that backyard and says, stand by, we're taking him into custody. And this pilot, Rick Lowen, goes, how did you do that? I go, how did I do what? He said, how did you know that guy was in that yard? I go, I didn't know he was in that yard. He goes, but you sent Jim half a block to start the search. Why? I said, because that yard looks good to me. Well, what looks good? I said, well, any canine handler on the planet could look at that yard and say, that's the yard you're starting in because it was, it was a target rich environment. It had trees, bushes, abandoned cars, trash cans, junk, crap, pallets. The other yards were really clean. So my point of telling that story is that led to Rick bugging me to formulate a class 
which led to the book in 07. He was bugging me about that too. And another friend, Chris Warren, was bugging me about it and told me, hey, you got to write, write a book on your class. And I did. And it's, it's just a really basic, you know, basic book on apprehending fleeing suspects, you know, and, suspect and the- tactics and, and perimeter containment and how to do it and what the do's and don'ts are and um, and the and target audience of people. the target audience of the book is is not just dog handlers and pilots. Obviously, oh, no. it's all cops, right? It's just anybody it's, who it's, is in that yes. situation starting to set a perimeter. And that's right. Thinking the how target they're... audience is is really patrol. Uh, it's patrol officers because what I have found, and in, in, I've taught a lot of classes, and I've taught a lot of canine handlers. And what I've learned, which didn't surprise me over the years, is that canine handlers know most of this stuff. They don't might not have the same experience that, that I had, but, but they, they know most of that stuff. It's patrol that needs it because sure. they're the ones that are containing for the canine handler to show up. And I say it all the time. Hey, you know, the canine handler in many ways has the easy job. Yeah. We might be home in bed. <laughs> and now we get called into this yeah. containment. We're, we're hoping that patrol did A, B, C, D, E correctly yep. so that we have a really good shot of, searching and finding this guy yep. the setting of the perimeter is much harder than the search itself it's not a, it's not as risky as the search but it's much more difficult so that's it is it is very fluid exactly so that's that's kind of what i aimed it at now does it benefit some canine handlers sure does sure. it benefit benefit air crews absolutely yeah. command staff field supervisors yeah it was it but the target audience was people that are out there in the field chasing bad guys yes. and uh you know it, and hopefully some of those things tips have helped uh, officers and and assisted them in containing people and searching for them and finding them so i think where the value comes in if uh, you know this podcast is obviously for dog handlers um but i think sometimes uh, all of us aren't as good at articulating the things we know like you say we know it and i think yeah. you know um i always i, I do a class on uh, area searches and i talk about doing roll call training, educating the officers. So yes. when you said you got some tips in there, throw a couple of tips at me that um, if I'm a handler that I'm listening to this, that even if I already know it, maybe I don't articulate the same way, but give me a couple of tips that our listeners could then turn around and share in a roll call briefing or something. Perfect, Jeff, because I know in the past when I've taught this at HITS, that's what that's my emphasis yeah. in class is that, hey, I know you guys are the tip of the spear. I know you guys know a lot of this, but... Are you sharing it with your customers? And and your customers are your patrol officers, just like whether you're a canine handler, a SWAT team member, an air crew member, any kind of specialized unit, your customer is basically patrol. You're there to supplement them and help them. So my, my tips are that you've got to you've got to go out and and meet with them as often as possible. Whether it's a roll call training or just at a coffee spot, you've got to meet with them face to face, show them that that uh, that you care about them and and help them as much as you can in in sharing what you know. Sure. And, and some of the main things that I try and share with them are, you know, you got to have priorities. <laughs> when that guy takes off running, you should be thinking containment immediately because the chance of you bailing out of your car with all your gear on and chasing him down are low, no, unless you're some unique Olympic athlete, you know, guy that suddenly became a cop. Then that's different. But 99% of us, the the chance of you catching them outright is low. You should be thinking about how do I contain this guy 
and and that means you got to communicate. Sure. So a lot of my talks uh, to patrol and to canine handlers saying what you need to share is make sure you're explaining to them how important communication is, because that's the key. If, if I had to pick one thing that that we all need to be good at to be have effective tactics, it's communication. Uh, if you if you don't communicate what you want or where you are or what the guy is doing, and everybody else is in the dark. You're not going to, you're probably not going to catch that guy. <laughs> you know, no, everyone's going to come look for you as opposed to set that's that right. perimeter. So exactly, exactly. I, I can, I can remember getting the canine searches where we're listening to the, the communication for 10 minutes. For 10 minutes, we've been listening to this foot pursuit, which has led to a perimeter and we're, you know, hauling ass to drive in there, getting there. And we pull up and as canine handlers, we look at each other and go, this guy's going to be in there. Yeah. And we oh, yeah. were judging that on one thing, communication. Yep. The communication was awesome. This guy's going to be in here. As opposed to another time where you show up and you go, this guy's not even in this county anymore. <laughs> you know, these guys yeah. were, it was pathetic. The communication was awful. And I'm telling you, Jeff, you know, oh, yeah. most of the time we're right. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing how often we'd be right with our predictions. Saying, yeah. That was good communication. There's going to be success here. And then there was success. Yeah. Or vice versa. So that's that's probably my best tip that that I shared with as many people as I can. You gotta be clear and concise with your communication. You gotta know where you are. You've got to convey that in a calm, cool manner so that everybody can get there to help you. If you're screaming on the radio or you don't know where you are, things are floundering and going slow, it's gonna be very difficult to contain that guy. And that's, uh, and that's where, and that's where we as dog handlers, you know, we're the experts in that. And I think, um, when you're doing your roll call training, you know, understand you are the expert and it's even, you're not going to be always talking about how to cover the dog handler. You can start with the basics, like you're saying, you know, the communications and long before, yes. long before the dog guy gets there, there's some stuff that you can train them to do that will Absolutely. assist us. Oh, that, that's so, that is so true, Jeff. I mean, it's so, and it's so important. I mean, it, you know, some canine handlers are involved in setting the perimeter. That's great. That's going to give them great insight. But many times they're responding to the perimeter exactly. and they're, they're depending on those patrol officers to do the right thing and, and follow the, the do's and don'ts and the general rules. And if they do, if those patrol officers do follow those general rules, their chances of, of success or capture at the end of the day go up dramatically. Yep. Uh, and, and the canine's just there to help them get that job done safely at the end. That's how I look at it. Patrols doing all that early work. I'm coming there to make it safer for them now to go on the hunt and search and find the guy wherever they've got him contained. You know, that's, it's an important concept and one that you can't emphasize enough with your customer. Sure. I'm going to tell you something that's interesting that uh, we talked a little bit before the show, but I didn't mention to you that, um, and I don't know if you've heard the podcast, uh, I don't know, um, but we just did a couple of episodes with uh, Mike Gooseby, who's the, the I listened to him. Okay, yeah. so is, yeah, I'm no I, Mike. You're, uh, you're, um, you know, referring to customers and stuff. It shows how entrenched a good, um, you know, culture is in LAPD, yes. and it's a uh, yes, it's something that I guess I mentioned that because you know that started at some point. You know, whether it was 1920 or 40 or 50 or 60, somebody started doing more training there, more roll call training, and everything. So. Yeah. I mentioned that, that if people listen to, to Mike talk, listen to you talk, everybody 
that I know that if you if you're fortunate enough to get a good look at LAPD, there is a culture there that you can't deny about catching bad guys and setting perimeters and stuff. This is an opportunity that you know even if you work for a smaller agency, you can certainly do what you can you know within you know your confines of your pay grade or your yes. assignment or whatever. But at least start to to do what you can to to spread that word and, and change the culture as much as you can to to think about setting perimeters as opposed to uh, chasing people around corners and stuff. That That's right. And, and I'm telling you, I, I listened to Mike and I, I have so much respect for Mike Goosby. Uh, I really do. He's got a lot of, a lot of experience and he's just a good, good person. Uh, but I was listening to Mike and I heard you guys talking about the culture and I was sitting there smiling and it made me proud because sure. LAPD ain't perfect. You know, people, people either put us on a pedestal are they they badmouth us and and it's not either of those things it shouldn't yeah. be either of those sure. we're like everybody else we're just bigger and we get a lot more publicity and there's tv shows about us big <laughs> deal that the point is that what what are we made of and what of our what are our units made of and what are our, our handlers and tfos and swat guys what are we made of and it's part of that culture of support yep. uh, i was that was drilled into me as as a canine handler, it was completely drilled in me as a, as a tactical flight officer where, and I, and I do the same. I would tell people we are air support division. Or We're control. here to support them. That's not my call down there. Yeah. That's their call. I'm not going to bully them. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to make, no, yeah. I'm not going to take it over unless it requires me to, yeah. and I'm going to word it in a professional way and I'm going to be here to support them. Because we were all there one time, exactly. Where we were less experienced, maybe not as wise, maybe running around with our hair on fire, maybe yelling on the radio. That's okay, you know. That's what that's what happens. That's what young patrol officers do. Um, but the culture was that we got to catch bad guys. We, this is the way to do it, uh, and and we and we did it. And we, the support method of of going out and and being there for patrol. That uh, was really important in the canine unit. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I, re I remember them telling us one time in the nineties, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna take off uh, for the a couple of the holidays or something." And the handlers rebelled and said, "Hey, sergeant, no, we're not. We've we're we're working all these holidays. The cops are working. Why would a canine handler not work? Yeah. Why would I not be out there on Christmas Day and and New Year's Eve? Are you crazy? We, they're." They're depending on us, and and there was a big battle. But that that I'm I'm so proud of that battle. Sure. I mean, we stood up, we stood tall, and we and we worked those holidays, and we all took turns doing it, and it was a good thing, and it was yeah. important, you know. Well, that's important for the cops to see, you know, that you're not the prima donna, you know, and that's that's right. That's any agency, you know, even a, you know a lot of I I was worked for you know when I was in patrol, canine. I my department was like yours where you're just a dedicated canine officer. But boy, right. I tried to, you know, before they went to computer reports, I'd try and grab a paper report. I don't, I don't know how to do a computer report anymore, but <laughs> you, you forget some, you lose some stuff. But, you know, I tried to jump in and not, you never want to be that prima donna that's, you know, anything. I think you got to always remember where you came from. And I think yes. it, it, besides helping you get more business, I just think it's good for your head. Just always remember, you know, that, that, that's where you started. And if I, if something happened and they said you're back into to answering calls, that's what I wanted to do when I was a little boy and got, that's up, right. got lucky enough to do it. I've never been, I know some guys who are terrified of that thought and, you know, yes, 
I think uh, having a healthy healthy attitude, like you're mentioning, is good. And it, it's so, so important. In the class, you're going to talk a lot about perimeters and being more successful as a dog yes. handler. You get, I know you have a, a nice uh, PowerPoint where you have some pictures and slides, but we'll get a lot deeper into it in the class. I think. Uh, anything else you want to? Any other tidbits you want to throw in before we wrap this up? Yeah, the, one of the biggest things that I try to stress in every class I do, and I've taught this class around the world. I've been so lucky; it's taken me places, and I've got to meet people all over the country, all over the world. That because of this class. Yeah. And uh, heck, that, that's how, that's how we met. Jeff. It is. I mean, it, it's how we, it led to our friendship. So uh, I value that a lot. But one of the things that I stress in every single class is that when it comes to the officer down scenario or any critical incident, you have to think differently. And that's a criticism that I've had of my own department, you know, for years is that we, we set up perimeters really well because they set up, you know, hundreds a year and they set them up really well. Are they perfect? No, I've never been to the perfect perimeter, but they're, they're pretty darn good. But what, what happened was all of a sudden we get a critical incident where there's an officer down and they would set the perimeter similar to a perimeter that where a guy jumped out of a stolen car. Yeah. And it's like, well, hold it. That's not the same guy. Yeah. You know, the guy that jumps out of a stolen car is not the same guy that just shot at a police officer. Exactly. You know, and you have to think differently with your perimeter, with your tactics, with your communication, with calling in the troops, calling outside agencies to come help you. And that's something that, that I try and stress a lot because I've seen it many times. Uh, you could ask Goosby the same thing. He, yeah. I guarantee he'd say, Oh yeah, yep. I've showed up to one block perimeters for where there were shots fired. And we just shake our heads and go, we got to make this bigger right now, yeah, right now. Cause the guy's not in here. Yeah, <laughs> he's not going to be in one block unless you've got him contained in the house. You know, yeah. if he's out in the open here, the chances are he's not in here. So that's one of the things that I'll, I'll stress sure. uh, in Arizona in August for you guys and, and just to share with them to share with the patrol. That's, that's the goal. Okay. Outstanding. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. It's been a couple of years at least since I, yeah. you've been with yeah. us. So we try to rotate our instructors around a lot. So I'm happy you're able to squeeze us into your busy retired schedule <laughs> in between <laughs> bike rides. Well, yeah. In between bike rides and skiing and, and family. Yeah. It's uh it's been great. Retirement's great. But I'm really honored to be invited back to Hits uh, in Arizona. I'm I'm really excited to come back and it's a good group of people and and I have so much respect for canine handlers. I was only there for five years. That's a blip on a radar screen compared to most of the people that are going to be showing up there. And uh, I have a a great deal of admiration for anybody that's willing to go out there and follow that dog into danger like like you and and others do. So uh, I'm honored to be invited back, Jeff. Thanks. And I always tell the listeners here, you know, if you if you like listening to Jack and you like uh, the idea of being able to network with, uh, you know, lots of different handlers, lots of different instructors, we do a lot of different networking events. So, you know, after you uh, see Jack in his class, you'll have plenty of opportunities to talk to all the different instructors, all the different handlers. So there's lots of value to hits besides uh, all the classes, all the vendors. The networking is real important. So uh, I'll put... Uh, information about hits in the show notes as well as i'll put jack's contact information and i'll put a link uh, to his book if you've not checked out his book it's well worth the read it's uh, uh just a good some some might be a good reminder but if nothing else it'll help you put together some really good uh roll call training so i appreciate jack thanks for your time and uh we will see you in just a couple of months 
Sounds good, Jeff. Thanks again for the chance to talk to you. It was great talking to you again, and I'll see you soon. Yep. Thanks. Take care. Okay. Stay safe, everybody. If you're looking to make an investment in your canine career, come the HITS 2020. There's no substitute for the real thing. Whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, come the HITS 2020 where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2020 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffle gifts and free cash than ever before. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there, and we've been there too.